dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose Treasure Hunt from The Whistler. The Whistler ran on CBS from May 16, 1942 to September 22, 1955. It was another in a crowded field of crime-based anthology programs, but what made it unique was the narrator, a mysterious figure known only as The Whistler. Each episode began with The Whistler's solitary footsteps accompanied by a melancholy whistle. Although he never appeared in the stories, The Whistler made his presence felt. His tone was sardonic and occasionally mocking, making his narration feel less like exposition and more like a jeering taunt. He was seemingly omniscient, able to peer into the minds of criminals and describe their thoughts, taking great pleasure in their eventual downfall. Many notable actors portrayed The Whistler over the course of its 13-year run, including Joseph Kearns, Gail Gordon, and Bill Johnstone. The longest-serving Whistler and the only actor to receive an on-air credit for the role was popular radio announcer Bill Foreman. The distinctive opening tune was composed by Wilbur Hatch and whistled by a young woman named Dorothy Roberts. During the war, Miss Roberts worked at Lockheed, and according to radio lore, the producers arranged for Roberts to leave the factory early to whistle every week. True or not, it's a great story. The Whistler was sponsored for most of its run by Signal Oil Company, the largest independent oil company on the West Coast. This meant that the Whistler was broadcast only on the West Coast, with the exception of two short East Coast runs as a 1946 summer replacement for Campbell's Soup's The Jack Carson Show, and from March 26, 1947 to September 29, 1948, for Household Finance. Despite its limited reach, the Whistler was popular enough to be parodied on The Jack Benny Show in a sketch called The Fiddler, and even spawned a series of B-movies from Columbia Pictures. Now let's listen to Treasure Hunt from The Whistler, originally broadcast January 21st, 1946. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. Whistle is your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler. I am the Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Whistler. And remember, let every traffic signal remind you, with new signal gasoline, you do go farther than ever. Look for the familiar big yellow and black circle sign. 
that identifies those popular signal service stations in seven western states from Canada to Mexico. And now, the Whistler's strange story, Treasure Hunt. If it were possible somehow to stand at some point in the distant future and look back at the life of Robert Bolton, we'd find it neatly divided into two halves, divided by a matchstick. The first half was successful. Robert was an egotist whose egomania led him to believe that because he'd given the world the ecstatic pleasure of his company for 32 years, it owed him a living in return. He lived by his wits, and because they were extraordinary wits, he managed to dodge, double in his tracks like a smart halfback avoiding tacklers and keep one jump ahead of the law. And then one day, shortly after the train he was riding on, pulled into the little country town of Redmond, Robert, standing on the station platform, put a cigarette in his mouth and reached in his pocket for a match. The pocket was empty. He shrugged and strolled across the street to the general merchandise store to buy a box. $200,000 at least. That's what you've been saying ever since old Colonel Randolph died. They've been living on credit for five years. Oh, every soul in town. And I'm telling you, Gregory Mott, we ain't going to see one red cent. You mark my word. How do you know we ain't? Well, just you go back and look at them bills the Randolph sisters have got run up here. Flour and eggs and milk and everything. It's nigh on to $500. But Martha and Evie's bound to find that money any day now. Can't never tell. If I hear that again, I'll scream out loud. When we find Grandfather Randolph, $200,000 will pay our bills. <laughs> well, they ain't found a yet, and they ain't gonna, if you ask me. Huh. Reckon the old colonel hit it good. And that's another thing. Why did any man hide that much money around and leave a crazy poem to tell where it was hid? Is that reasonable? Oh, I know, Lou. It's just that Martha and Evie Randolph are such nice... I know. They're ladies. Wearing them lace things like they was rich. I notice Martha's too much a lady to marry Sheriff Conway and get her bills paid. Maybe you ain't ask her. <laughs> Evie thinks she's too good for him, and that's why. Ain't no excuse for letting their bills run. Why, they could take in boarders. They're willing to take in boarders, but who stops over in Redmond? Well, talking about it won't get us our money. I'm just getting tired of this whole I thing. beg your pardon. Oh, hello there, mister. Been here long? No, I just came in for a box of matches. Sure. Here you are. Thanks. Uh, you just passing through on the train? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, have a nice town here, Mr. Mott. I was on my way to Florida, but Redmond is such a charming little place. Might stay over for a while? Could be, Mr. Mott. Could be. Oh, uh, conductor? Yeah. My name's Robert Bolton. I'm in car 63, bedroom G. Would you have the porter get my baggage, please? I'm getting off here. With the prologue of tonight's story, Treasure Hunt, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange story by The Whistler. Now I think you'll be interested in a letter I received after a recent Whistler broadcast in which I had told how the atoms in gasoline molecules are actually rearranged to put exciting new power into new signal gasoline. The letter read, Mr. Miller, you say they rearrange atoms in making signal gasoline. I thought atoms are the things scientists split to make atomic bombs. 
Well, it occurred to me that other listeners may have wondered about this, too, so I'd like to make this point clear. Splitting atoms to release atomic power is one thing, but rearranging atoms is a completely different branch of science through which some of today's most remarkable new products are being created. Take nylon hosiery, for instance. Do you know how nylon was created? Why, by rearranging atoms. And that fine new synthetic rubber for tires, it too was made by rearranging atoms. So you see, in rearranging gasoline atoms, Signal is just using the latest scientific method to put tremendously increased power into new Signal gasoline. Just another example of the alert, progressive policy of Signal Oil Company, which for 14 years has been quick to bring you every latest scientific advancement in the fine quality petroleum products wearing the name Signal. And now, back to the whistler. Robert, that matchstick made a difference, didn't it? They laid it on the line for you while you were waiting at the counter in the store. And you're thinking it over carefully now, as you sit in the parlor of the huge old Randolph home in Redmond, making your first impression on the Randolph sisters. It took you only a minute to analyze them. Evie, ailing, suspicious, jealous of the family tradition. Martha, 45, hungry for sympathy, color, laughter... She's made to order for you, isn't she, Robert? Your opening move is a triple play. You talk to Evie, your remarks are aimed at Martha, and your mind is on the $200,000 hidden by Grandfather Randall. And so you see, Miss Evie, I just had to stop in here and inquire about a room. It's, it's such a perfect place to uh, uh, finish my book. Oh, you're an author. Yes. <laughs> I write poetry. Poetry? Oh, how beautiful. I have always considered poetry a frivolous way of expressing thoughts which might better be done in prose. I love it. Your judgment is not to be considered, Martha. But, uh, go on, Mr. Bolton. Well, I graduated from Harvard in 1931, and I wandered around a bit. India, China, Japan, even got as far as Tibet. Oh, how wonderful. You've really been to those places. Mr. Bolton, I am not interested in your wanderings. Oh, I'm sorry. But I've got to have some place in which to write a, a place like this, Miss Randolph, with these lovely trees, these grand old rooms with their fine floors. That mahogany staircase. Why, that's a poem in itself, Miss Randolph. A sweeping curve ascending high to end its rapture in the sky. Oh, that's William Brown. Why, yes, Miss Martha. You know his poem? He that to the voice is near, breaking from your ivory pale. Need not walk abroad to hear the delightful nightingale. I think it's so lovely. And I think we have had enough of this grammar school recitation. Yes, Evie. Mr. Bolton, you may have the room. However, I am not a well woman. Therefore, I must have it understood that should I change my mind at any time, I shall expect you to understand. Martha? Yes, Evie. You may show Mr. Bolton to the room above the veranda. Thank you again, Miss Randolph. I'm sure that uh, my stay here will prove mutually profitable. Well, you're established in the Randolph house, Robert Bolton. But there's work to be done. 
if there are $200,000 hidden someplace. You know Evie Randolph is shrewd, almost as clever as you are. But again, there's Martha, poor, homely, pathetically eager Martha, who hangs on your words. And you can be charming, can't you, Robert? It's not long before you've made a conquest, and such a simple one. Martha never has had such wonderful times, has she? Movies, poetry, a drive in a rented car. Oh, oh, please, Mr. Bolton. You mustn't go so far. Why not? It's like living in another world, just flashes of the earth we know. Gone before you can see the ugliness, the gray drabness. Oh, yes. It is like that. Uh, It's wonderful (laughs) to hear you laugh, Martha. Wonderful. I... I was laughing, wasn't I? Her laughter like the bells of Eden. Oh, it's... It's all so lovely, Robert. All so lovely. Do you really mean this is the first movie you've seen in three years? I never go out much, Robert. You see, Evie... Oh, you're wonderful, Martha. So unselfish. Yes, Robert. It takes only three days. Martha is hopelessly in love with you. But you've been very careful not to make love to her, haven't you? That you've been saving for a very important moment. A moment that comes one day as you walk with Martha in the garden of the Randolph place. Robert, is is there anything wrong? Wrong? Is, is something troubling you? Well, the book isn't going so well. Oh, is that all? But you've got to expect times when when you think things are all wrong. You told me that yourself, Robert. Yes, but this is different, Martha. I'm... Maybe I'm a failure. Maybe people are right when they say a poet is some odd kind of a freak. But I don't feel that way. I know that, Martha. And I'm grateful. No. I'm the one who should be grateful. And I am, Robert. So grateful. You? But what for? Well, because you've made me laugh. You... You brought something here that... that... I shouldn't talk like this, Robert. Why not, Martha? Well, yes. I... No, no, I won't say it. Say what, Robert? Look here, I... I... (laughs) For the first time in my life, I find myself unable to choose the right words. But, Martha, what, what would you say if I told you I... I loved you? Oh. Oh, please, Robert, no. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. But you did. You did. I'm, I'm a fool. You said it. But you can't mean it. Look at me. Look at me, Rob. I am, Martha. There's nothing for you to fall in love with. I'm ugly, Rob. Ugly. Don't say that. It's true. It's true, Rob. No, no, it's not. Listen to me, Martha. What is beauty if it has no soul? What is loveliness if there is no heart? That's... Robert Bolton. Martha. Oh, Robert. No, no, I shouldn't have. What have I to offer you? Nothing. You and your sister have all this. The house, the garden, money. Money? Robert, dear, we have no more than you. Oh, you're joking. No, my darling. No, I'm not. Abby and I have been living on credit. Everyone thinks we'll find Grandfather Randolph's money. Money? There is money? I don't believe it, but Abby does. She's looked for it so many times. Oh, treasure hunt, huh? You're, you're making fun of it. Oh, no, no, dearest. But, well, things like that just don't happen, not in real life. But suppose there, there was money, and we found it. 
Then you wouldn't have to worry about staying here with Evie. She could have the money and we could have each other. Do you mean that, Robert? Don't you believe me, Martha? Oh, yes, Robert. But Evie would never let us have the verse. Verse? I don't understand. Well, Grandfather Randolph left the secret of the money hidden in a little verse he wrote. Evie keeps it in her room. I've only seen it once. Oh, well, that's that. But I could make a copy of it when she's asleep. She wouldn't have to know. Oh, you're clever, sweetheart. You know, I never would have thought of that. And if we find the money, we... We we... shall taste the sweets of Araby and live but for the ecstasy that life shall bring to us. That was simple, wasn't it, Robert? Having Martha suggest a plan herself was clever. She doesn't suspect a thing. Poor, homely Martha, who doesn't know you're going to leave the moment you find the money. And the same night... She brings you a piece of paper. Here it is, Robert. Are you sure Evie is? Evie is asleep. I left her medicine on the table by her bed so she doesn't have to call me. Oh, you are clever, my darling. Now, now, let me see the verse. Oh, here it is. Oh. When the bishop's mitre points to three, then a shadow long you'll see. Four steps left and two steps right. Careful now, you'll need the light. Oh, it, it sounds crazy. Just, just a minute. Bishop's mitre. Bishop's mitre. I, look, that the chest, uh, the chest table in the corner. Has it ever been moved? Oh, no. Evie wouldn't allow anything to be moved. Then where are the chessmen? In the drawer of the chest table. Oh, good. Well, why are you setting up the chest? You don't see. No, no. Which bishop? There are four. And one has to point to three. To three. All of them pointed to the ceiling now, but if we... If we lay them on their sides, then... Look! This black queen's bishop, it points to the grandfather's clock on the other side of the room. And if you point it to three... That's it! The bishop's mitre points to three. Martha! Martha! <gasps> it's Effie. She woke up. You, you, you better go. We'll continue this tomorrow night. Go ahead. She won't wake up tonight, will she? Oh, I don't know, Robert. But did you figure out... I think out... so, now... A bishop's mitre points to three. Then a shadow long you'll see. Shadow. Let's let's look outside. At three o'clock, the shadow of that elm tree would be. Come on. You're so wonderful. It's all so simple now. Four steps left. Then two steps right. Right in front of the old cooling shed. And the next line reads, Careful now, you'll need a light. Martha, that means we'll need a light to see inside the cooling shed. That's it. The money is in the cooling shed. It is. It is. But uh, uh, we just don't have a light now, do we? We'll have to wait until tomorrow night. Well, I can get a lantern. No, no, Martha, darling. We'll wait until tomorrow night. But why? Can't we tell Evie now? You're not going to tell Evie until we get the money, do you hear? I... All right, Robert. Anything you say. Of course, Robert. Wait until tomorrow night. Then you'll plan to sneak outside without Martha. And you needed time to pack, didn't you? Get ready to leave suddenly with the money and without Martha. 
So the next day, you sit in the garden smoking a cigarette, smiling to yourself, thinking how easy it was. Then suddenly... Howdy, Mr. Bolton. Oh, hello, Sheriff Conway. You know me, huh? <laughs> of course. You've been pointed out to me. In addition, the star glittering on your vest is in itself a monumental advertisement. Yep. Mind if I sit down a mic? Well, certainly not, Sheriff. Make yourself at home. Uh, did you come here just to sit in the sun, or do you have something more important on your mind? Well, Bolton, I ain't one to beat around the bush. There's some talk going around about you and Miss Martha. Really? What harm is there in that? Well, you're a young man, handsome. <laughs> Thank you, Sheriff. <laughs> I didn't know you cared. I don't think you're up to any good, Bolton. Martha's good 15, 20 years older than you. Oh, and... so that's the way the wind blows, is it? Torchbearing in the provinces. You love her, don't you? Listen, I came here friendly-like, but I'm having a hard time now f to keep from smashing that pretty face of yours. But you won't do it, Sheriff, because you'd look a great deal sillier and more stupid than you do now. You can't afford that, Sheriff. You're smart, ain't you, Bolton? Smart enough to know you haven't got a thing to say in this matter. Now you listen. I intend to remain here as long as I like. You're after that money. You can prove that, of course. He uh, doesn't have to. Miss Evie, you hadn't ought to come out here. It I was can... thoughtful of you, Sheriff Conway, to concern yourself with our affairs, Martha's and mine. However, I am quite capable of handling this. Miss Evie, don't go getting riled up now. You're hard, Me, you know. Sheriff Conway. Mr. Bolton. Yes, Miss Evie. I gave you to understand when you came here that any time I chose to ask you to leave, you would do so. So what? Consider this your last day here. You'd better reconsider that. You heard Miss Evie Bolton. Sheriff? Yes, Miss Evie. Mr. Bolton, I'm a sick woman, but I'm not blind. My sister Martha is impressionable. She is infatuated with you, and you've done nothing to discourage her. Perhaps I love her. That's ridiculous, and you know it. Mr. Bolton, if you're not out of the house in, in one hour... I shall ask Sheriff Conway to evict you. Martha might have something to say about that. I've already told her. You have one hour, Mr. Bolton. Well, Robert, that was a blow, wasn't it? If you leave, the money stays in the cooling shed. If you stay, the sheriff will have a field day throwing you out. Your only hope is Martha, isn't it? And you haven't much time. You sit alone in the garden thinking. And suddenly it comes to you. There is a way, isn't there? You hurry over to the little pharmacy where you and Martha bought the medicine for Evie. The clerk knows you and says nothing when you ask for a little bottle of poison to uh, kill rats. You sign the poison book and hurry back to Martha with a half hour to go. She's in the parlor playing the piano. Please, Martha, go on playing. I want to remember you like this. Rather fits the mood. Please, Robert. I'll just stand here by the piano and... Oh, I... It's... It's poison! Robert! What were you going to do with this? You weren't supposed to see that. Give it to me. You... You were going to kill yourself? All my life I've had cherished and loved things taken away from me. I'm tired, Martha. Tired and beaten. Misunderstood by the people I love the most. Your sister. You. Not me, Robert. I swear it. Not me. You were going to stand by and let me leave, weren't you? But what could I do? Every you minute. see? I love you, Robert. I love you so much. And does that solve the problem? 
now. What can we do? What can I do? You could marry me. And Evie would see that I do love you. Robert, marry... Don't you want to, my darling? But, Evie... Give me that bottle. No! No, I'll marry you, Robert! Now, today, we can go to Milltown right away. Yes, 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 anything you say, Robert. Anything you say! You don't seem to like me as a brother-in-law, Evie. I despise and loathe you, Mr. Bolton. Evie, you don't know, Robert. You don't understand me. You poor blind fool. Don't you see what he's after? But, Evie, Just a moment, Martha. Very well, Mr. Bolton. I suppose I have no alternative. You're quite correct. Martha, will you leave the room for a moment? What? Mr. Bolton and I have something to discuss in private. Well, if you say so, Evie. Be with you in a minute, dear. Yes, Robert. Now, Mr. Bolton. This is what you wanted, isn't it, Mr. Bolton? $200,000 in securities. You've got it. Of course. I've had it for ten years. The verse was simple for me, too, Mr. Bolton. I thought it was cash. Half of it is yours, of course. Shall we divide it now? Oh, we'll have to have them analyzed. It'll take time. It's simpler than you think, Mr. Bolton. As a matter of fact, I'd just as soon you had them all. What are you talking about? There you are. Take them. Well, I uh, can't say I expected this. I'm not being generous, Mr. Bolton. You see, these securities have been worthless since 1929. What? Take them, Mr. Bolton, and get out. What kind of a trick is this? I said get out. You know it now. Tell the whole town about it. We defrauded them. We lived for ten years on credit because they believed the money was here. You let me marry that ugly, stupid sister of yours. She knew it all the time. She did not know it because I never told her I found them. Now get out. Get out! (laughs) Take your securities, Mr. Bolton. You've got what you came for. (laughs) Martha! Martha, come quickly! Martha! Time's a train leave, clerk. Little trouble up the line. Might be late today, maybe five o'clock. You can quit worrying, Mr. Bolton. You ain't taking no trains. What do you mean, Sheriff? You ain't leaving Redmond. No? Well, just try and stop me. Let her charge desertion. Let her charge... It ain't that, Bolton. It's murder. Whistler will return in just a moment with a strange ending to tonight's story. Meantime, I'd like to bring you the solution to a little mystery that's puzzling a lot of drivers these days. Why are so many batteries going dead? Well, the answer is simple. Most batteries today have already seen a lot of use. And cold weather starting puts even more strain on today's tired batteries. That's why, if you don't like the experience of going out to start your car and finding your battery dead, It's just good insurance to make regular use of your signal dealer's complete battery service. He has the instruments and the know-how to determine the exact condition of your battery. If it's run down, your signal dealer has the latest equipment for charging. And if you do need a new battery, 
his rugged signal batteries are built to signal's own exacting specifications and guaranteed for long, long life. So stop in at your signal dealer soon. You'll find he's much more than just a place to buy Signal's famous go-farther gasoline and fine lubricants. Wherever you see Signal's yellow and black circle sign, there you'll also find complete Signal service and accessories to help your car run better, look better, and last longer. And now, back to the Whistler. That one stopped you, didn't it, Robert? For once, you have nothing to say. And though you don't know it, the first half of your life, the half you lived before you reached into your pocket on the station platform at Redmond and found you were out of matches, is over. And the second half is about to begin. The sheriff refuses to explain further as you go together back to the Randolph house. He waits until you go through the door into Evie Randolph's bedroom, until you stand there staring down at her still figure on the bed. Sheriff, I swear to you I didn't. I tell you I had nothing to do with it. You bought this bottle of poison at Rigby's pharmacy. For myself, I told you. Ask Martha. I got a feeling the jury's not going to believe anything Martha says about you. They'd think she was trying to cover up for you. But I ain't telling you anything, though, am I? You likely know juries pretty well by now. Effie got that poison by mistake. Sure, when Martha took it away from you and hid it in the medicine cabinet. And that's where poor Evie found it. Sick. Dave. That's it. I knew you didn't believe I did it, Sheriff. Who says I don't? What? What are you getting at? Well, you can have your pick. You can leave Redmond. Yes. And face a murder charge. There's the money, the fight you had with Evie... The poison register at the store? Wait a minute. You can't do this. No. Or you can stay here and make Martha a good husband. Write poetry for her. Take her riding. Make her happy. And I'll forget about the other. Well? I... I won't do it. Huh? Murderers hang in this state, Bolton. All right, Sheriff. You win. And I'll be around checking up. And if you ever try to run out on her... I'll reopen the case on new evidence. And I swear before the Lord, Bolton, I'll hang you. Next Monday at 9 o'clock, the Whistler will bring you another strange tale. The Whistler is broadcast for your entertainment by the marketers of Signal Gasoline and Motor Oil and fine quality automotive accessories, and by your neighborhood Signal dealer. This program, directed by George W. Allen, with tonight's story by Russell Hughes, music by Wilbur Hatch, is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. is your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler. This is Marvin Miller speaking, reminding you to look for those familiar yellow and black circle signs that identify those popular signal oil stations in seven western states from Canada to Mexico. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
That was Treasure Hunt from The Whistler here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was Joshua's pick. We have been doing so many listener picks to get caught up over the last three months. And then we did Patreon uh, rewards and we ended up doing War of the Worlds and Three Skeleton Key. And it's been a long time since we just got to pick something we wanted to do just because. So why did you want to do this one? Well, we've listened to a lot of classic popular, well-known old-time radio uh, mm-hmm. in the last couple months, and so I really wanted to go back to something we had listened to only once, or maybe not at all, on the podcast, and I ended up settling on The Whistler. I think we listened to, mm-hmm. quite a while ago, a Christmas Whistler episode, but that's it. Yeah. So I wanted to listen to a non-seasonal episode <laughs> of The Whistler, and I listened to a bunch of them, and this one grabbed me for a variety of reasons. Wait, 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 what was the one where the little girl gets poisoned? That's the, the Mysterious Mystery Traveler. Traveler. Uh, same kind that's of a different spooky narrator <laughs> character. Do you have a uh, background in The Whistler? Do you know a lot of the episodes? Have you listened to a lot I've of I've listened them? to a lot just here and there. I haven't listened to tons. I do love the whistler himself Mm -hmm. that taunting quality he has just like you're gonna screw the pooch on this one buddy (laughs) (laughs) just you wait and i find it just a really inviting formula it's definitely a comfort radio show i go back to it's very formulaic uh, but an enjoyable formula and did you go oh this is the one i'm gonna do i remember this one or did you listen to a bunch of them i listened to maybe three or four and then hit on this one and um picked this one hands down and why this one it's the twists at the end. Often the Whistler is formulaic, and I feel like I often see the twist coming, and I counted three twists that I didn't expect. The twist being, you have to marry her. That's the final twist that totally surprised me, and mm-hmm. I was like, whoa! <laughs> I assumed that he was going to get framed for the murder as soon as they mentioned rat poison. And so I went, oh, yeah, I know how this is going to end, but the sheriff giving him the option to choose the woman or the noose. (laughs) Why would you want that guy in your town? Well, I think there are some careful seeds laid early in the story to let you know that sheriff loves her and does not want to see her hurt. And he's going to be there with a gun and the threat (laughs) of a noose until he dies of old age. Why not just go swoop in and uh, marry her, sheriff? They eloped. It's too late. She's desperately in love. Right. It's a sacrificial move on I his part. I get it. I mean, it's awful. He's now doomed her to a life with this person who <laughs> hates her yeah. guts. Uh, I mean, I don't think it withstands scrutiny, but on the surface, <laughs> <laughs> I really like the twist. It's and not I, a good plan, <laughs> but, but it's a plan. I admired the motivation behind the poorly thought out plan of the sheriff. <laughs> and as a button, you don't have to think too much past that moment. Right. It, you it's like placed his, well in the story. You like his heart. Yeah. True Weird. love. Yes. Is too. Sacrifice. sacrifice or to restrain from sacrificing this other guy. <laughs> I would have gotten a lawyer before agreeing to that because <laughs> he went off of at the train station. You're probably going to lose to a jury. And he went, yeah, you're right. And I thought about it, went, no, I actually don't think there's enough evidence Wait. at all. But to... you're a Columbo fan. That's the end of every <laughs> single episode of Columbo. It's like, oh, you got me with circumstantial evidence. I give up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the end of every Perry Mason. Except they do it in court. All right, you got me. <laughs> Wait, no, shh. Tim, what did you think? Well, I don't know. What did I think? Um, 
I was so in, having a good time with like, ooh, is this mystery and there's this money and there's a riddle and a poem. They're going to find mm-hmm. it out. And he's bought some poison and he's going to maybe uh, kill her. And like, ooh, it is this interesting twist. Like, no, I didn't get this poison to kill her. I got this poison to pretend I'm going to commit suicide. And then suddenly it's like, oh, he's manipulating this woman with threats of suicide to marry him. And it got really real all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not the fun murder stuff that I was hoping for. Yeah. Uh, but I love that twist. I did not see it coming. I thought he was... Well, no, I was suspicious right. because he signed the poison yes. book and everything. And I went, okay, either this is Poison gonna, book, that's right. Yeah, either this is just poorly plotted and that's going to be what hangs him in the end and that'll be really lame or something weird's going on. But I still didn't see him like, oops, I dropped the poison so you could see it. You caught me. I'm going to kill myself. That was brilliant. Yeah, I, I had that exact moment of like, ooh, what a nice twist. And wait... Oh. <laughs> but then we get the other twist, the worthlessness of yes, the, that the money. I love that. And then you understand why the older sister, Eva, Eva did not want the sheriff anywhere near her sister because he didn't want the sheriff yes. sniffing around this money. And the idea of scamming the entire town mm-hmm. for credit mm-hmm. all these years. But Everyone's ex- a bastard in this. <laughs> explained why this hidden money in this esoteric poem like that took like three mm-hmm. minutes to find you didn't right. really need the chess set if you just know it's three o'clock yeah. that's what i love yeah. about this is there are all these moments of near disappointment and you go oh and then you go, oh <laughs> <laughs> and that's throughout the last 10 minutes of the episode and i think it sets it apart from some other whistler episodes i've heard where it goes down exactly where you think it's going to go right he really got handed this whole scene on a silver platter in that store, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Uh, $200,000 hidden poem map, single woman, need borders in the house. <laughs> All right, that's everything I need. Thank you so much. Oh, wait, I got to go learn something about poetry. You got a book on poetry? Yes, we do. Thank you so much. I'll be back. And a match. And a match. <laughs> right, need a match. Uh, that setup from those uh, people in the store made me laugh, like... To give him every single thing he needed to make this happen. Yeah, that was certainly the part of like, I, I love this. I just <laughs> It's I, the it, formula of the Whistler. It's very stilted. It attempts to move the story as fast as possible by dumping this information. Silly as it might be, it sets the tone for the story. It's a small town. It's gossip. Right. Yeah. And I love the opening from the Whistler that his life is divided by a matchstick. It was successful up to this point. Mm-hmm. He reaches in his pocket, doesn't have a match, and then everything goes downhill from there. You were describing the Whistler's sardonic uh, little takes on its main characters and the description of the character who, had, by virtue of his how many ever years of life, had warranted life taking care of him without any effort. Yeah, the Whistler, as you said in the intro, really hates the antagonist and is so sardonic and so cruel to them. And this one he was particularly cruel mm-hmm. to about his 32 years of life and what he had accomplished. And <laughs> but it, it made me laugh. God, you really hate this guy, Whistler. <laughs> it's always a criminal. So you always, right. for the most part, side with the Whistler. Absolutely. Uh, I think you and I share this in common, if I'm not mistaken, Joshua. I hate people who whistle in public. <laughs> <laughs> it is annoying. I think we have discussed My God, this. It's like being on your cell phone in public. It, just walking around. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, but nothing makes you sound like the worst person on earth than screaming, Stop that whistling. Right. <laughs> what are you happy? <laughs> there's just there's no real right. way to express that in the moment. Right. Just... You can't stop them from doing it. 
and because I'm a Scandinavian and Minnesotan, I can't stop people from talking on their cell phones, although I want to say something. You just start whistling really loud, right? <laughs> But it makes me laugh when he starts to whistle, and then he whistled leaving the store, oh, I'm uh, in the money. Yes. I'm like, oh, God, stop whistling. Everybody stop whistling. <laughs> I don't mind whistling if it's in a song. I think I honestly share Evie's opinion of poetry. Oh, God. I love that line. <laughs> poetry, a frivolous way of expressing thoughts. I wrote, hear, hear, Eva. <laughs> I don't like poetry either, and it makes me feel stupid, but I'm not a big fan. I like, you want to say something? Uh, say it. Yeah, I can appreciate poetry, but I could never like go, I'm going to sit down and read me some poems, <laughs> you know, to pass the time. It's just Because I don't know what they're saying because they use other things to say what they want to say. Probably know like some <laughs> Bukowski. Who's that? He's a poet, but yeah. he's a real plain-talking poet. I'm now selling poetry short, but generally speaking, Who's the guy where the sidewalk ends? I like him. <laughs> Shel Silverstein. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. Kind of funny, weird. <laughs> like the drawings. <laughs> I haven't read any of it. I've looked at the drawings. <laughs> My favorite bit of poetry. The illustrations. <laughs> they had more uh, illustrations than poetry. Another... High and Lois. I like High and Lois. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring this back to the uh, old radio episode, but... <laughs> well, actually, I want to talk about the commercial, which is another reason I love this. Ugh. What struck me as particularly funny is that the... Guy seemed annoyed by the reader's misunderstanding mm -hmm. <laughs> of how atoms work. Yeah, he did. It's basically a mini science lecture. There's probably more of you that think this. Yeah. So here's the deal. Rearranging atoms equals hosiery and gasoline. <laughs> Splitting the atom <laughs> equals victory in the Pacific. <laughs> you understand <laughs> what we're doing here. Your nylons won't explode. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it, there was a hint of, <laughs> oh, my God, we've gotten so many letters. We need to address it on the Whistler. <laughs> so, I don't know. It, was, how it, do you feel about the ending as far as, do you feel satisfied that justice was done? I, Evie's sister's name. I can't think of her name. Martha. Martha. By the end, I just felt so bad for her. Mm -hmm. It was so yeah. hoodwinked. And so the choice of die or stay married to this woman the compelling justice of that did not for me weigh against like that poor woman right. what an awful life she's going to be leading until she eventually kills this guy and pays no price for it okay now i'm back filling <laughs> that works better right you're ugly and nobody would want you and it, well yeah he says i married your stupid ugly sister for nothing <laughs> he realizes that there's no money it's just awful <laughs> It's such a terrible line. And yeah, imagine and uttering that. <laughs> Could you imagine actually saying that at some point in your life? Ah, say, imagine going up to your wife's sister <laughs> and saying, "Married your stupid, was, ugly sister." Oh, I, I was just talking to my wife's sister like the day before yesterday, and this didn't come up. <laughs> I'm very happy I married your sister. <laughs> It's just so, so direct. Yeah, it's a dark little story as it ends up. And I liked it, not necessarily because I think it's a fantastic moral lesson by any means, <laughs> but I appreciated the surprise in yeah, the writing. Definitely. The um, twists were, I did not see them coming one after another, yeah. And 
it is pretty unjust to Martha throughout. Mm-hmm. She's easily fooled. It's not so much that I felt like, oh, this is treating this character very poorly. It made me realize, like, I often don't care about the fate of the characters in these stories. That, like, yeah, <laughs> that's really awful for you. I like this. Right, right. This time around, like, oh, we you're a fictional person with fictional feelings. Well, I think right. it's because Martha does nothing wrong in this. <laughs> yeah. She is Just completely manipulated by her sister and then by mm-hmm. this guy and then really manipulated by the sheriff, even though he had the best of intentions. Um, people who love her and hate her, both lying to her. <laughs> yes. That's her life. I thought the performances were great. The yeah. guy who plays Robert, yep. I recognized that voice. It almost sounded like Howard Duff, but I think by now he's famous enough that they would have said Howard Duff. Uh, but he sounded so much like a guy who was probably super handsome and charismatic and a total jerk. I mean, he captured all that in his voice. Yeah. And there's a great exchange with the sheriff when he comes to see him. And the sheriff's trying to explain why he's uncomfortable with this situation. And the sheriff says, you're a young man, handsome. And Robert just laughs. He goes, thank you. (laughs) It just played so perfectly well. thank you to him being called handsome is one of my favorite moments of this whole thing. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Oh, and when the sheriff tries to run him out of town and he says, oh, so that's how the wind blows, torch-bearing in the provinces. He's just this (laughs) total dick. (laughs) So, two questions. What's a cooler shack? Cooling shed, I think. Cooling shed? I looked it up. Couldn't find anything. I could not figure out what this was. You know, like, what is that in reference to? Is that where they kept the ice in the 40s? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is a cooling shed? I tried to look it up and could not find anything. Me neither. I found other weird modern appliances that I could buy. I mean, there there was a documentary about the history of air conditioning and cooling things. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I think it would be, based on this one show I saw once, (laughs) was what they used to do was have a... A building and dig out a basement and put ice in the basement to keep the room cool. And you would just go into the shed to cool off then? It would be where you'd keep Or your, where you'd keep your ice. Your food that you want to be chilled or... So it's a giant refrigerator. Yeah. That's... I don't know if that's accurate, but I felt like I should say something. <laughs> Thank you for jumping in. <laughs> but it, it was hard to picture what was going on because I didn't know what that was. You know what I mean? And then when I looked it up, I still couldn't find anything. So I'm like... And then it's this. So... You looked everywhere but that shed? You didn't look in the shed for the money? But, no. but she did she long ago. She, she knew about the money. She's been hiding the fact. No, the sister didn't. She, well, well, she never saw the poem until she stole it. Still, if you're looking around... It's been established the that the sister is not very smart and, by the way, ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I did then go look at oh, securities. Uh, what are securities? Oh. <laughs> that... <laughs> and? They're essentially IOUs. They're like equity, yeah, security. It, so I think they said as of 1929, these so, became worthless. Yeah, the crash. So yeah. It was some corporation that was like, we're going to print money, essentially. And the value was based on the value of the company. And then yeah. it, when the stock market crashed, it no longer had any value. There you go. We've learned a lot. <laughs> we learned a lot of stuff. <laughs> Listen to some people make some things up. <laughs> What have we learned? We've learned maybe what a cooling shack is. <laughs> Securities have something to do with something that isn't worth anything. Yep. yep. Yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of things in this. I'm going to vote. You go ahead. Yeah, I didn't like it. 
<laughs> Sorry. Oh, I forgot what this feels like to bring a story to the group. <laughs> have them just go, eh. <laughs> Try to be so nice when it's a listener request, but when it's me, it's like, I didn't like it. Get out of my house. <laughs> it was finish. <laughs> It wasn't that interesting. It was not a lot of suspense. I know you talk about those plot turns, and but I wasn't brought along to the point where I cared about the plot turns at the point. I was like, yeah, then that happened. And it felt like, honestly, like the plot of a dateline. <laughs> and then what happened? Well, you wouldn't believe, you know, like all of these things are like something I've watched on dateline. Like I'm going to marry this woman to get her money, then kill her with poison. <laughs> I thought it was well acted and produced so there was that and i didn't get mad at it <laughs> so so you think it stands the test yeah. of time or doesn't yes stands the test of time okay. absolutely you can listen to this and be intrigued by it and it's not really oh my god that's really outdated and really old and weird other than what's a cooling shack yeah no there's <laughs> definitely some antiquated moments uh, but i think it stands the test of time i just for me it didn't keep my attention the whole time i wasn't guessing what's going to happen next uh, I think it stands the test of time. I think the passage of time has hurt it a little, at least for me, and that a lot of these twists would have had this, been a sort of constant rhythm of like plot twist, plot twist, plot twist. You didn't see this coming, uh, and that times being different now, there'd be plot twist. Oh, I feel really bad for that woman. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. that sort of spun me out of the pace of the twisting, turning plot. Right. Recognizing that though, that that was not their intention. <laughs> um, the actual twists themselves, I thought, are a lot of fun, and I didn't see them coming, which is great. Yeah, I'm a sucker for the conniving con man, and I was drawn in by the lead performance. Yeah. Um, I thought he was charismatic, which is what the con man has to be. If he can't mm -hmm. draw me in, then I can't believe that he's going to draw in um, his marks. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what carried me through to the um, end, where mm -hmm. I appreciated the twists. And I think, as I mentioned before, it's the fact that it just came close to disappointing me time and time again, and then <laughs> swooped in and rescued itself, which I found highly entertaining. Um, it stands the test of time for me. Uh, I would acknowledge again to a lot of listeners, uh, like Tim said, it has antiquated moments, mm -hmm. particularly in, you know, the just, yeah, ugly dumb woman. It's <laughs> one of the significant plot points is going to be jarring for some people. <laughs> the modern mm -hmm. editor takes out a red pen and like, let us address this, <laughs> this phrase here. Uh, but it represents a, a high point for the Whistlers that I have heard and is representative of what I enjoy about the Whistler. And like I said, it's the audio equivalent of a comfort food for me. <laughs> I hear you. I got a lot of those kind of shows. Sergeant Preston of the Yukon, I'd never bring it to the table here. It's a comfort food, but man, is it terrible. It's so boring. It's a great thing to fall asleep to, except for when his dog barks, and then you're like, I woke up. I just like the sound of wind and snow. Yeah. Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of our podcast there. You'll also find ways to get a hold of us, either through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. You can uh, contact us through our contact page. You can also just leave a comment on any of the podcast episodes you find there. Yeah, and uh, you can go to patreon.com slash themorals and find out how you can support this podcast. We've got lots of great rewards and uh, membership opportunities. Uh, you can also go to iTunes and write a review, as long as it has three twists that we don't <laughs> see coming in the end. 
Please don't call us ugly. <laughs> I listen to these ugly podcasters for nothing. <laughs> so next week is October, and in honor of Halloween month, we're kicking off a series of ghost stories, uh, beginning with my pick, A Knock at the Door from Lights Out. Until then... Well, you're a young man, handsome. <laughs> Thank you, Sheriff. You know how to whistle, don't you? You just put your lips together and blow. <laughs>